Let me first start with, you know, um, you had said that you were thinking about writing a book about it at the about this case at one time, and I was just curious how far you got, and then how that got disrailed. Well, we we got about oh I don't know three or four chapters I guess, and to be honest with you, Jenny, I don't really recall how we kind of got derailed. Yeah. Um, it, it was just uh, I think as time passed. And I was busy, and John was busy, and and stuff, and we just well, you know. And every time I'd bump into him or talk to him on the phone, it was always, man, we need to get together and finish this book, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it was always, you know, kind of like, well, we should have lunch sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know how that mm-hmm. goes. Yeah. And first thing you know, time has passed, and you haven't gotten it done. Um, but uh, we started. I mean, our our plan was to basically tell the tell the story as uh, to start with in the first x number of chapters as just in chrono- chronologically the way the case went and and just you know revealing to the reader in the same order that basically the investigation learned things so that we, you know, sometimes it's a situation, you know, where people tell you who, what their theory or what, who did it right up front and right. then spend their time explaining all of it. We decided to leave the reader in the dark because at the time that we were most focused on it, um, our plan then for like about the last five chapters was to take a chapter for each of the, what we consider to be the primary suspects and make the case both for and against them. Mm-hmm. And in the last chapter uh, issue, what we believed was our best theory on what occurred with the case. I mean, it was it was one of those strange situations where, you know, there really was not uh, hard factual proof, even after years and years and years and years of, of information, some of it just trickling in over time. And that's one of the things I think we talked about in our texts back and forth was that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy in 20, you know, with 2020 hindsight to say, oh, well, gee, you know, this should have tipped the investigation. Now, yeah, well, we may not have had that till five, six, seven years later, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, so it made it it made it pretty tough but that was the plan to sort of lay out the case and, and say okay here's what happened uh, chronologically and then take uh, some chapters for the folks that we thought were at least at one time were primary suspects um because there was a bunch jenny there was a <laughs> there was a bunch there was no shortage of people we used to kind of joke this was not a case of who did it it was who didn't do it um yeah at one point, and that that made it tougher yet, um, because there were a number of people of uh, well, Laura and her husband did not run in the finest of circles. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm learning that definitely, uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So there were any number of nefarious characters. Let's put it that way, who could have had motive or whatever. Certainly could have had the opportunity, and would have probably had the capability in terms of their moral compass, right. uh, you know, to have done something like that, whatever that was, you know, realizing it was a year before her body was even discovered. Right. Uh, yeah. So 
that was that was kind of the plan on the book. Like I say, I, I think it was just a function of time and and uh, other other activities and things that we got involved in. And and uh, you know, John uh, at one point was was uh, gone from the sheriff's department. I was gone from the paper. Um, you know what I mean? It just yeah. drifted. It just drifted away. It wasn't intentional. Like I say, we both would say, "Man, we got to get together. We got to get together." And yeah, well, we'll do that soon. You know, but we just never did. Yeah, and that makes sense. That makes sense to me as a writer, especially because you got life going on, and then also you're kind of culling information and on all this stuff. And like you said, dribs and drabs came in, and I totally love the idea of how you were going to go chronologically because first of all I don't see how you could do it any other way in this case because it was so I've already gone and made a 50 page timeline just from the documents that I put together just putting every single detail and thing fact and thing I know in order because it's easier to figure out what may have happened when you're looking at actually what happened and when it happened you said there were a, a bunch of, of suspects. Give me give me your top few that you thought were the most, and, and why, basically. Well, her, her ex-husband. Right. Uh, certainly was, was on the list. Right. And there was some circumstantial evidence to indicate that he was, was present in that time frame that she disappeared. Uh, Ricky Dean Akers. Yep, I've heard that name and Ab, uh, Ab Planip, yep. Um, who was, yeah, and Dave Alplana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there, there were just, uh, those Those are three that sort of immediately come to mind. I think there were a couple others who maybe were a little farther down the list. Right. Um, but those were the ones I think that, that we thought were probably, if it wasn't Trudy, most likely it was one of those three. At 24 years old, Ricky Dean Akers was a career criminal. The first thing you need to know about Ricky is that police began looking into him very early on because people like Bobby Frost, who you are about to hear from, mentioned his name in connection with Laura's murder. Rick Akers and David Epplanet were both friends with Bryce Morris, Laura's ex-husband, and Laura had some relationship with David Epplanet as well. Just to refresh your memory... David Planip was the guy that Laura told Winston had showed up in her driveway in the wee hours of the night just before she went missing. By March of 1982, Ricky Akers was on the run from police and David Planip was in the wind. He fled to Georgia and then Florida, and investigators on Laura's case were trying to piece together stories from witnesses who were close to this friend group to determine whether either or both of them could have murdered Laura Morris. First, I'll read to you what Bobby Frost told police in 1982 when he was questioned, and then you'll hear from him. I would also like to note that John Munden said in his Indiana State Police Debrief, which I promise we are inching closer to you guys getting to hear, that Bobby Frost passed a polygraph test. That said, I tend to go with what witnesses told police at the time of the incident, rather than anything that they may say years later when it's no longer fresh in their minds. Once you start asking them about stuff that they said years ago, it's almost impossible to get them to remember exact details. John Munden and a Indiana State Police investigator interviewed Bobby Frost, and here are the contents of the handwritten notes made by the ISP investigator. Bobby told them that David Planip asked him to go with him to rob Laura Morris's house, 
because she was staying at her parents' home and there was a lot of stuff that they could steal. He had mentioned a TV in every room. Laura went missing sometime on the night of August 10, 1981, or in the wee hours of the next day on the 11th. But a few nights before that, according to what he told police, Bobby Frost said that he and David Ebb Planet went to Laura's house late one night to case the joint, as they say in police lingo. They parked on a remote side road and walked across a field to get to the house. Frost said that they walked around the outside but did not attempt to go inside. Now, Google Maps tells me that there are, in fact, fields around that house on Shadeland. According to Bobby Frost, David Ed Planup told him that he had gone to the house previously and cased it. He also said that he had been inside the house a few times, and Bobby assumed that was with Laura. David had even told Bobby Frost that he knew a way to get in, through a space beneath the sink. According to Frost, when they talked about burglarizing the place, Ed Planup said he wanted to do it at night when Laura was there, and they would wear masks and tie her up. Frost asked, what if she recognizes our voice or something? Ab Planep's reply, we'll kill her. Frost then asked, why don't we do it when Laura's over at your house? Because Laura was friends with David Ab Planep's wife, Cindy. According to Frost, Dave wanted to do it at night and he wanted to do it when Laura was home, which already throws up some red flags. Because if you want to rob a place, you want to do it when it's most convenient. If you want to complicate it with people being there, your motive might not just be robbery. As it turned out, Frost said he was not down with doing it that way, so he said, count me out. He told police that David Ed Planip had planned to do it the same night that Laura turned up missing. Ed Planip also shared with Frost that on one previous occasion, when he was casing the house, Laura confronted him, and this seems to be corroborated by what she told Winston. Frost had heard that David Ed Planip had beat Cindy up, and then she left him, and she was at work for a day or two, but then she fled to Georgia because her father lived there. After Laura went missing, Frost made a comment about him going to the house, and Ed Planip denied having anything to do with her disappearance. Frost told police that Ed Planip said that he and his wife Cindy and another couple had been to Laura's house, and they all sat around the pool. When police interviewed Frost, he said that he had not had any contact with David Abplanup since he went out of state to Georgia. David had tried to call him a couple times, but Frost wasn't home. Frost did try to call him in Georgia, but whoever answered the phone said that David wasn't there and they didn't know where he was. Frost also knew Ricky Akers, and he had seen him at David Abplanup's house before. On one occasion when Frost and Akers were at David Abplanup's house, Cindy, David's wife, told him to get Ricky Akers out of there or she would call police. Frost said that Ed Planip smacked his wife and told her to go to bed. The detective made a notation that Steve and Trudy Snedeker said that the pool at the Shadeland home was not cleaned or used during 1981, which seems to be confirmed by what Winston had said when he went over that day and Laura was tanning. But Dave and Cindy Ed Planip could certainly have been over at the pool with another couple and Laura the previous summer. Police talked to Bobby Frost twice, once on the 28th or 29th of July, and a second time on August 9th, 1982. In the first conversation, Bobby Frost talked about Ed Planip having a 25 caliber revolver that looked like a Wild West cowboy gun, large frame, 
He told police that he knew David sold drugs, but the investigator noted, quote, we aren't interested in Frost's drug use. The interview notes end with this chilling line. Frost says he thinks Dave killed her, and he probably took Acres with him, and they probably both did it. This is like, you're talking about 40 years ago, you know? Yeah. 39 years ago, okay? Yep. Um, so, I don't, I don't remember a lot of stuff. I remember going to the state police post to be interviewed, okay? Um, I remember when I told him, uh, that I you know, and a couple times I've looked this up on the internet, you know, um, and seen if there was anything ever happened about it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I just really think that the people, I think that the people that did it are probably deceased right now. Uh, I do too. I would tend to agree with you on that. And um, basically... What I'm trying to do is, so did you, had you been, you know, when you were reading on the internet, did you know, did you see that at one point the theory of, or, or, you know, as far as we know, the theory in the media was that Trudy killed her daughter. You saw that? True. Uh, Laura's mom killed her. That's what they were saying in the newspaper. I've never heard that at all because, like, it was after the 90s. I never saw it, and I never ran across it on the internet when I was looking, um, I read some newspaper articles, I remember just about a year ago, I read, and it reminded me of where her body was found, because I built houses, and like I do build houses in, in Hancock County, out in the rural areas, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really live that far from there, oh, okay. where she was found. And- now, I've lived here for 21 years, I don't know how much I'd be able to help you, because I've not in contact with any people that would even know who any of these people yeah well what i did is we got the police reports we got the witness statements and one of your you they talked to you a couple times if i'm not mistaken you even had to take a polygraph right yeah and you passed as far as what i the information that i have so but you you had information on someone that is interesting to me and that was uh someone named dave dave is it how do you pronounce it abplanap abplanap yeah okay so Basically, the police theory was that, uh, this is John Munden's theory, was that um, Laura and her mom gotten in a fight and something happened and then she disposed of her body and then everything that happened after that with the Snedeker family happened. But I've been going through the police reports and it doesn't seem like that makes sense at all. And what I wanted to talk to you about was what you talked to police about back then, which was um, David Abplanip um, and what he had told you and what your experience was with him. Do you remember telling police as far as um, that that he had taken you to, to Laura's house at one time because he wanted to rob her? He wanted to burglarize that house, her parents' house. Right. Tell me what you remember about that. What what happened with you guys and what he said to you? I didn't really burglar. I didn't do that stuff with those guys. I had a job. Um, but I had a truck, and that's why he asked me to help him do it. And then, but I told him that it didn't seem like a good idea to me because she would know us, she would know our voices or something. I said, "What are we gonna do if she recognizes and he's dead? And he would, and he, he would kill her." Right. And I thought that that I thought that that was really 
can say. So you used to hang out with him, and that's when this came up, when he asked you to go with him? Yeah, we were friends through high school. I met him in 1974, so I knew him for seven years at this time, and I knew him pretty well. I thought I was taken aback from what he said. Yeah, that would be, that's a, a strange ask. And you said you had a truck... And that's why he wanted you to go with him, right? He, I guess to, a, uh, to to load things that he was going to steal into it? Yes. That would be, yes. Because I had room to put stuff in the back of the truck. And I was, I was told that, that he left town like the next day, and I would know who took him to the airport to drop him off. Who? And he flew to Florida and never came back. Who took him to the airport? A guy named Kitty Weber. Kenny Weber? Yeah. Okay. I'll look for that name in the report, too. So Kenny takes him to the airport the day after. That's kind of suspicious. Um, tell me, you said in the report that he had taken you over there one time to, like, case the place. What do you remember about that? Oh, I don't I don't remember ever going to that, to drive by that house or anything like that. Well, in the in the police report, it says that you guys par- parked somewhere and walked through a field and looked at the place. You, he had taken you there, and then you told him you didn't. When he started talking about, you know, killing her, if it if if she recognized you, you you didn't want to do that. I don't remember ever telling the police that if we ever went to look at a house and walked through a field. So you never went. You never remember at all going with him to there. I couldn't have told you. I couldn't tell you now where Laura Morrison's parents lived. Huh. Except that it was in rural, it was in rural King County, I saw it. Yeah, it was in Hancock County. Just outside of Greenfield, I never went there. And if, if, if it says that in the, in the police report, then I don't, I don't recall it at all. Well, I but, never recall going to the house and parking and getting out and walking with David on planet. So look at that house. Never done like that. Basically, what it says is that you had told police that um, a few nights before you and that a few nights before she went missing, you and Dave went there to look to look at it, and you parked on the side of the road and walked across the field to get to the house, and then you walked around the outside of the house but did not go inside, and you did not attempt to go in. You just left. Do you remember ever going to a house with him um, that you didn't know was Laura's? Looking at it. Okay. Now, do you know if, do you remember him telling you that he had gone to Laura's and she saw him? That he had what? That he had gone to Laura's to, you know, uh, gone to Laura's one night around the time she went missing and then she, she, he was in her driveway and she came out and saw him. Do you remember him telling you that? No. You don't remember that either. That's Okay, because she was actually with someone. Um, she had met some new guy named Winston that week that before she went missing, and she told him that, too, that she had gone out one night. Um, she had heard something outside, looked in the driveway, and, and Dave Elplanip was out there in her driveway. So she went asked, out there and asked him what he was doing, and he just said he was out getting some air. You never heard about that? No. Huh. So you don't ever remember, did you ever remember him talking to you about 
about what what do you remember about him telling you about wanting to rob her house? Just that her parents had money. Apparently, and they had really nice stuff in her house. And how did he know that? Why would he was real good? David Atlanta was real good friends with Nice Morris. I mean, they they when I met him, they that's like best friends kind of you know they lived just a mile apart and in 1975 there wasn't a lot of people out in that area you know they only lived a mile apart and that's how I met Bryce Morris and his, his brother Robbie and I only met Laura Morris a couple of times last night after you left that message I was trying to picture her in my mind and I can remember what she looked like but I don't see it real well you know yeah. I don't see a stamp on a photo, but I remember her being good-looking with blonde hair. But she was married to Bryce Moore, so I didn't really pay attention, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. So when when he said he wanted to rob the place, and then you said you got, you asked him, well, wh- wh- what if she recognizes our voices? I assume that means he wanted you to wear masks and go in and whatever. And and he said... He Okay, so you were going to wear a mask, and when you what what did what was his response when you asked him? Well, what 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 do we do if she recognizes our voices? What did he say? He said we would kill her. <laughs> and what was your response to that? That that wasn't something I thought we should do. Right. That that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. I, I do remember that. that it, he did. He had said we were going to we would wear masks, and that was the whole thing about the voice recognition. Yeah. When did you learn that Laura was missing? Do you remember? Within a week after our conversation, and David Alfano had left town. So suddenly, so by the time that you heard about it, he had already left town. Yeah, it was like the, I thought it was the. I, I could be wrong. It's been 39 years. Yeah. But I thought it was like the next day, the next afternoon, he called the guy and he got a ride to the airport and he didn't take anything. He just, he just went. I don't, I think the guy might have even loaned him some money to get a ticket or something. Now, did he usually rob places alone or did he usually want to take someone with him? I don't know that because I never robbed anything with David Alphine. Was that the first time he asked you? Yeah, because he knew I didn't do that. So that was the first time he was just kind of, yeah, trying you out, basically. I I worked. Those guys didn't work. There was a few of them that did not work. Yeah. And I'm sure you heard the name Rick Rick Akers in all this, haven't you? I was just getting ready to ask you about him because the report that, that your witness statement that I read also said that you think Dave killed her and probably took Ricky Akers with him. What made you think that? Because they were, Rick Akers was at Dave's house, apartment, all the time during that time. And I knew that Rick would do something like that. Was Bryce there at the apartment when with Akers and Dave all at the same time as well? I don't know. They, they lived, David Alpine lived in Green Tree Village Apartments in just north of the county line in, in Indianapolis. And he had a girlfriend named Cindy. And they seemed like they just stayed home and kind of sold drugs all the time. And that's how they lived. 
Um, I don't remember ever seeing Bryce Morris there, to be honest with you. Okay, all right. I did see Lori there. That's where I saw Lori before, was at David Alpine's apartment. I don't think Bryce was there when I saw Lori at David's apartment. All right. Um, did you know anything about David and Laura's relationship? Like, were they just friends? Or what, were they messing around? What did you know about their relationship? Nothing. I don't know why Laura was there when I went over there. She was there for a couple of days, a couple of different days. I saw her there at that apartment, and it was like she was kind of hiding from Bryce or something, maybe. I don't know. So she was staying with him I for a little while, you said, you think? I saw her there twice, I think, and it was only a couple of days apart, and I had never seen her there before, and I never seen her there again. What, when was this in relation to when she went missing? Was it right before that? Within a, a month to two months prior. Okay, all right, that makes sense. I think she was jumping around from place to place until she moved in to that, to back to her folks house when they left for Florida. So that does make sense. Cause I know she stayed with one of her brothers. I mean, what her sister and brother-in-law at one time too. So, she, you know, did it appear when you saw her those couple times that she was actually staying there overnight or she was just there to visit or you weren't sure? Now, now you're saying it, it was like she was staying there for some reason, you know, but just for a short time. Hmm. And that's why I would have thought there was nothing between David and her because David had a girlfriend, Cindy. Right. They were real, it seemed like they were happy together. All right. And then the whole group of them, they did drugs too. I mean, so um, she, I was told that she probably got her drugs from David. Does that sound right? If she did like pills? Amphetamine tablets? Is that what he said, pills? Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's something he sold a lot of. Yeah, she had a big bag of them in her purse when her purse was found. So I, that was another reason, you know. But the thing is, my question is, what did you know anything about how his plans work? Like when he robbed, it said in the report that that I that with your name on it that he. Um, and some other people mentioned this, that he liked to rob places while the people were there. In your report, you said, you told him, why don't we just rob the place when, why don't you do it when he's not that when she's not there? She, you could do it when she's at your house with Cindy. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do that, he said, when she was there. Do you know why? No. Were you no. were you under any understanding of him as far as doing any other crimes, like violent crimes as far as sexual in nature? No, not him. David Alpine had one eye that didn't move right, okay? Uh-huh. It, it wasn't like, you know, it was it just wasn't in the right place all the time. So when he could look at you sometimes, he looked kind of, kind of scary or whatever. But it was kind of weird, mm-hmm. like Rick Akers. I mean, I knew Rick Hager's pretty good, and he had done some really bad things in his life. Mm-hmm. So. So he's more along the lines of the violent sexual offender, you would say. And he was the one that liked to break in people's houses while they were in the house. But not, um, but you didn't see David as that type? No. 
Because I didn't know, I don't know any, I don't, I shouldn't tell you anything that I know that David Alplant, any crime that he ever really committed except doing drugs. So, you know, driving along Boston or something, but I can't, I don't know of anything that he ever stole from anybody. I don't know of anybody that he ever stole money from. I don't know anybody that he ever robbed. But he asked you to go to Laura's house with your truck, so obviously he wanted to rob her house. Well, yeah, but it seemed like he was just something. He was coming up with the idea of how to make money. Because people, you know, if you're tied on money, I guess, that would be what I would remember might have been his reasoning. His main reasoning would have been to make money. Right. And so he... Not to hurt anybody or to, or to victimize anybody other than the... The person that was going to lose the property. Okay. But no violence. I wouldn't have thought at that time. All right. I I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to check his record. I know Ricky Akers was for sure, so that I totally get that. Um, do you know what vehicle he had? Did he have a car at the time? It seemed like if they had a car, it was a little brown Mustang. A little brown Mustang. And it, was his it was his girlfriend's car, Cindy's car. So he didn't have another one aside from that one? No, not that I remember. So if he wanted to rob some place, he would actually have to get someone else to take him then? If he needed... Yeah, he didn't really have a, he didn't have a car, I don't think. I did not believe it. When David Alplant lived with the girl before Cindy, when he lived with a girl named Vicky Stoll, she was the only person that had a car in the household. He just stayed home all the time and sat in the apartment. At that time, he sold marijuana. Um, so he needed you. I imagine that he would, if he asked you, he needed the he truck. Wanted, what what truck did you drive? What color was it? And what kind of truck was it? I had a. It was an older Chevrolet truck. It was orange. Uh, it was a '67 Chevy, three quarter ton four wheel drive pickup truck with some rust on it. And do, do you, re there's other stuff in this report about, that you mentioned, you were at, um, one time you were at their house, and Akers was there too, and Cindy wanted Akers to leave, and she told Dave that, and he slapped her and told her to go in her room. Do you remember that? Do I remember saying that? Yeah, or being there for that. Oh my gosh. No, not right off the top of my head. I don't remember that happening. I can almost see it, but I can't say that I recall it happening. Let me ask you this, and not as a judgment call, just asking you, did you do drugs along with them? Yeah. So it's possible that you don't remember because you guys were all doing drugs at the time. Yes. Yeah, I'm just, I, I'm not, like I said, that's not a judgment. I'm just asking because a lot of this stuff in this report you don't remember, like going to the house with them. It's very detailed. So, you know, I'm wondering if you guys have been, could have been high and he took you out, you know what I mean, and said, let's go for a drive, and you didn't even realize it was Laura's house. Yeah, but I don't remember something like that. You know, I remember when I had to take the photograph test, I remember I had to leave work in Lafayette, Indiana, and drive all the way to Indianapolis, which is like an hour and a half drive. And I had to be at the state police post on 21st Street at a certain time. Um, 
I remember that, but I don't, I don't remember, no, I don't remember going out there and driving around and looking and parking and getting out of the truck and walking around. What about, do you, were you familiar with where she was found? She was found in a cornfield in Shelby County, just off, I guess uh, across the county line. Do you know of any, anything, anything that um, um, Ab Planep or, or Ricky or any of them would have been associated with, with a little, um, you know, I mean, this was out in a real rural area. This was out like where it was a whole cornfield and, and uh, you know, barns and stuff. Well, yeah, I know right where where it is, and it's it's really rural. Except that if you know where you're going, you can get places pretty quick on those roads out there. Like you know, like Shelby County is a mile from me right now, and northern Shelby County it just goes. There's one road, County Line Road, that goes straight for ten miles in, a, in a straight, and never has a curve between Hancock County and Shelby County, and then. You can go either way, and it's all just nothing but cornfields and bean fields. But, you know, where David Alplanet grew up is like 15 miles straight south of where her body was found. I mean, it's not like it's... I mean, like, you could leave where his parents lived, where he grew up, and you could just go north, and you would be pretty close to where she was found. And so you don't have any doubt that he would know where that area was, meaning like if he needed to get rid of a body. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, nobody, I don't know of anybody that knew anybody that lived in that area. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Well, any association? People so that they would know where those roads were. But at that time, this the, a lot of that area was a lot different than it is now. It's still really nothing. It's a cornfield, but. A lot of people have bought Jennifer estates out there and built nice big houses on it. It's a lot more populated today than it was in 1981. Right, yeah. And how did you find out where her body was found? In, uh, on the Internet. I never knew her body had been found, and I did an Internet search, and I saw that her body had been recovered. I don't even recall what year her body was found. Gotcha. So you had seen it uh, in one of the news articles when you were looking. And what made you go on the Internet to check that? Was that recently after I talked to you, or was that just you were curious at some other time? Some other time. I was curious. It could have been in the winter when I was not working. I was home. Gotcha. The last couple of weeks, there was a couple of months that I didn't work, and I would just, and my wife would be at work, and I would sit there and do stuff all day. Right. And research that, and there was like a, I think I read an article from the, uh, whatever they call the Greenfield News, the Greenfield Reporter, or, yep. you know, yep. went into the stairs, and sort of picture of the road, and that, and describe it. Yeah, I've seen some of those articles. Yeah, exactly. That's what. That's why I was wondering, like, just trying to figure out, um, like, so you never heard until you were look. You ne- did you never even see news articles about them um, suggesting that it was her mother that killed her? You never heard that till I told you, or you had seen that on the on the news. I mean, the articles. I never heard, I never heard that until you told me. I never ran across it in my bed on the internet that I recall. Did you ever know um, David to have uh, a gun? No, not really. I don't remember him ever showing me a gun at his house or anything like that. 
be it a handgun, be it a shotgun, be it any kind of gun. Hmm. And what happened to Cindy after Dave left? What happened to what? I'm sorry. What happened to Cindy after Dave left town? I thought Cindy ended up going to Florida and getting back with him, but then they ran into these other people that were from Whiteland when they were in Florida. Another couple from they, Indiana. Yeah, and they had lived real close, and they were friends, acquaintances, and it ended up that. Cindy got with the other guy, and David got with the other girl. Uh, do you remember that couple's it, name? <laughs> it was it was Billy Lucini and Shelly, but I don't remember Shelly's last name, and I don't think they were ever married. No, they lived in the same apartment complex in Indianapolis. Oh, the I see. That was going on, and they had known each other too because, like. You know, I, I grew up out in the country, close to where David grew up, and Billy Matheny grew up three doors from me, so we all rode the school buses together and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Billy Matheny, he died about 10 years ago. He overdosed in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah, and David also is deceased. Did he die from an overdose as well? That's what I heard, but I can't even remember what I found out that David Alplanet died of an overdose somewhere in Greenwood when he came back from Florida. I never knew he was back. He never made any attempt to contact me. I'm not that hard to find. I have a, I've had the same phone number for 21 years. Well, he, in the book. yeah, and he might have been laying low <laughs> if you did something and you, because he had told people in his reports he was never going back to Indiana. So that seems like he had a reason not to want to come back, and he must have come back after being in Florida for some length of time. Um, what what kind of drugs did he sell? Do you know? <clears throat> David. Yeah. Well, at the time, I'm pretty sure that he was buying all these amphetamines off of. Um, they were caffeine tablets, and he was buying thousands of from Hustler Magazine and Playboy Magazine ads, and he would present them to people as real amphetamine tablets and sell them for a large profit. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so it was just pills, or did he sell anything else? I remember that was the main thing he was into was... That. Well, what, um, what 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 drugs would he have been doing that he overdosed on? Oh, when he came back, I have no idea. I have no idea. Hmm. When he when he left for Florida after he was in Florida, did you have any contact with him? No. So once he left, you didn't hear about what was going on in his life. How did you find out he had gone to Florida? From the guy that supposedly took him, Kenny. We were good friends. That's, I was the one that, I was how Kenny Weber was introduced to David Alphard. And so I would see him all the time during that period. And he told me, he said, you know, that guy called me and wanted to ride, and I went and got him and drove to the airport. Do you, is, is Kenny Weber still around? Yeah. Sitting here today, if, if who would you, if you were asked to, to say who you thought killed Laura Morris, what would you say? I would say I talked to David on planet children. 
And do you think he had would have had help with Ricky um, from Ricky Akers, or would he done it himself? He wouldn't have been able to go burglarize the house by himself if he didn't have a way to go burglarize the house and take any valuables. Somebody would have had to take him in there. Okay, that makes sense. Would he have been? Do you think it's possible that he was? He would have been motivated to harm her just for that or do you not think that would have been the case i mean if he did it why'd she end up dead that's my question if he's just a robber and he's not violent how did she end up dead well that was the whole stupid thing about his idea about trying to burglarize your parents house if you're just gonna go burglarize something why do you want to take why would you want to even think about killing somebody there's a big difference between though i would think when you're you know, we were 20 years old at the time. In 1981, I was 20. David was 20. Um, to me, I mean, if I had to take a chance, choice between four years for burglary or life for murder, I would just, I would just get arrested for burglary. I guess that's just me personally. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, when, they were friends. It seems like. So why would he? You know, I'm trying to put this together in my head. Why would he hurt her? See, here's the other thing. She was found with jean shorts on. So when her mom went to bed, she was laying on the couch in a T-shirt, you know, you know, pajamas, watching TV. She was found with jean shorts on. Um, so it seems like she had to put them on and go outside. So that would indicate um, that, you know, if she had gone outside, maybe it was again where she went out and she thought she heard Dave there because she told the guy that she was dating at the time that she had just started dating that Dave had come to the house the night before. I mean, and she found him in her driveway. So if he did that again and she found him again, would he have, nothing was, nothing was stolen from her house. There was no robbery that happened. So what, what do you think would have occurred? I mean, I'm just asking, obviously, for speculation, because I don't know him. I don't know his, how he would have reacted. I don't know his personality. So knowing that she had she had probably walked outside, I mean, you know, if he went there to rob her, no robbery occurred. He didn't even apparently come in the house because her mom was there. Okay. No, I don't know. Um, Bryce and David, I thought were real good friends. They seemed to be when we were, I want to say, 16, 17. And Bryce was, I don't know, I think he was about three years older than us. So it seemed like maybe, you know, when Bryce got with Laura, then he kind of just disappeared from, um, from this, the click of people that we would see at other people's houses and stuff and be around. He was Bryce wasn't around no more. But then everybody knew that he got married to Laura and I, th I thought they had a child. Yep. Obviously, it, their daughter. So, um, and I don't know what's happened to Bryce Horse. I have no idea where Bryce Horse is today. Um, is he alive or not? Yeah, he is, and he's out there somewhere. I mean, um, I think he still lives in that area. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where he lives, but, you know, uh, did you talk to, did you ever run into Bryce after this happened as far as, um, you know, when after when Laura went missing? Did you ever see him after that? No, not that I remember. And then what about Akers? Did you ever run into him after this happened? Oh, 
know, I wouldn't know if I did after this happened or not. It would seem like my most of my contact with Rick Akers was before this, before 1981. It was more like 1978, 79. Where I lived, he was always there. I lived with a couple other guys. We had apartments. And he was real good friends with them guys. And see, at that time, they were burglarizing things, and I was going to work every day. Who were, you know, who were the other guys that lived in the apartment? Who were the other guys that lived there? Or you, you said it was Acres, and he hung out with two other guys he lived with. Who were they? The one was Donnie Thomas, and the other one was Donnie Myers. Donnie Thomas and Rick Akers got arrested at the same time for a bunch of the same burglaries. And what about sex offenses? Because I think Akers had a bunch of those. Well, Donnie Thomas, at the time of that, we were living together, and the police came and raided our house. And I was only 17 years old, and everything in my bedroom... There wasn't nothing stolen, so the police let me go home to my parents' house. But they closed that department down, and Donnie and Donnie both went to jail, and Donnie Thomas went to the penitentiary. He never even bonded out, and I never saw Donnie Thomas after that day. What year was that, do you remember? Well, I would have been 17, so it would have been 1978. Okay. And then that when, when Rick, Rick was always there, but... I don't remember if Rick went to prison for that stuff, too. So but Rick was a sexual offender. I know that because I dated that girl. I, I took Patty Bridges out a few times after Rick was killed. And, you know, I just, we didn't hit it off that well. We'd been pretty good friends in high school, but um, there was nothing there to pursue. Yeah. How, what would you describe the level of drug use among the group at that time? I mean, was everybody real strung out, or was it just sort of social drug use? I would call it social drug use. Everybody was functional. Like I said, I worked every day. I might have missed a day's work every once in a while, but I kept a full-time job all the time. Um, those guys did not work. And, and David was like, kind of like a womanizing person. When he was in the relationship with Vicky Stoll before Cindy, my girlfriend at the time was real good friends with her, and I know that Vicky wasn't like a very happy person because David wanted to control everything. Yet, yet Vicky went to work every day, and David sat at the apartment and just sold marijuana and did what he wanted to do, like he was just a child, you know, no responsibilities. And it seems like that was Cindy, too. Cindy was kind of standoffish. She wasn't into all, she didn't seem like she was into all the traffic at the house. She wanted a more settled down lifestyle, I think, maybe, or something. Probably, yeah, and that makes sense. Um, one, I'm going to ask you one more thing, and then I'll let you go, because I don't want to keep you. You've just been real helpful. But did you ever hear or know about Steve Snedeker, Laura's father, um, being into drug trafficking? No. I barely know that last name. I don't even recognize it as her parents' name when you say it's a pedigree. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, I don't know. I never knew anything about them. Yeah, I mean, you they probably were, wouldn't if you're just hanging out with her, you know. I mean, the, the kids aren't really hanging out with the parents, so. Um, and what about, um, where did, where was, aside from those pills, 
You said he was selling pot. Who? Where did he get his pot? Do you know? I don't know where he was getting his marijuana. It was all local. I mean, everybody was hooked up with the same people. And low level then? Nothing? Nothing? I mean, it's not like you're telling me crack or um, heroin. It wasn't any of that stuff? No. Coke? Well, what about Coke? There was cocaine, yeah. Coke. Yeah. Became cocaine. So coke, pills, and pot, basically. Yeah. Oh, Corbin. Did you know Dave Corbin? Dave Corbin? Yeah, he was another Dave mentioned in the report. I don't know anybody named Dave Corbin, no. Okay, that's good because that just tells me he may not have been in that same friend group or whatever, so. What about the... In the time before they found the body, did it somebody, a psychic, maybe maybe a psychic volunteered information or something, and it was supposed to be something about a barn in Shelby County? Yep. And when they went to the barn, there was a whole bunch of stolen motorcycle parts there, but there was no evidence of no murder or nothing like that or her body. Yeah, it sounds like they found some, they weren't sure if it was even associated with the case. They found some stuff that might not have been related. Might have been unrelated, but they weren't sure. Could have been. Now, remember, Akers went on the run at some point, and there was a shootout and everything. I don't remember. The, I have to look at the dates in the timeline as far as when that occurred during this thing. But, you know, that got mixed up into this case, too, because he went on the run, and they ended up getting shot and killed. This brings us to Ricky Akers, who was running from police a few months before Bobby Frost did his interview. Back in October of 1981, just two months after Laura went missing, a short article landed in the Greenfield Daily Reporter titled, Authorities Seek Three in Probe. It said that Hancock County Sheriff's Department was looking to question three men in connection with Laura's disappearance, and at least one of them was being sought by other law enforcement agencies on unrelated matters. That would be Ricky Akers. At that time, they were withholding the names of these men, but John Munden told reporters that one of them, coming under closer scrutiny, had been questioned and passed a polygraph. Ricky Akers was on the run for a string of criminal charges out of multiple jurisdictions, including eight rapes dating back to 1973. A federal warrant was issued back in September of 81, right after Laura Morris went missing. Akers was actively moving around and evading police by going out of state. By March of 1983, it had technically become an all-out manhunt that involved multiple agencies, including the FBI, and round-the-clock surveillance of all of Ricky Akers' associates. Three different times over the ensuing weeks, police officers in different jurisdictions had Akers but then lost him. He had a girlfriend with him at the time, and her name was Patty Bridges. Bobby Frost mentioned her in his earlier interview. The girl that he mentioned he dated after her ordeal with Akers, but he didn't personally hit it off with her. When Ricky Dean Akers took a shot at Indiana State Trooper Brooks Wilson, adding attempted homicide on top of the three charges of car theft and eight rapes, he all but signed his death warrant. Tensions mounted on all fronts when word got out to the press that there was a possible Akers connection to the Laura Morris case. John Munden specifically requested it not be released to prevent complicating an already problematic situation. The information in question was that Ricky Akers had reportedly made comments to a relative who lived out of state about a more serious crime that he had committed. For a guy with eight alleged rapes under his belt, 
more serious does tend toward the type of violence that everyone hoped had not befallen Laura Morris. Indianapolis area newspapers defied Munden's request and they printed that information, which very well could have played into the events to follow. On April 5, 1982, about eight months after Laura Morris went missing, police lured Ricky Akers to a rest stop just before 11 p.m. on the pretext of meeting a woman from Indianapolis that he had been talking to. There was a massive stakeout involved. The entire rest area was under surveillance. Law enforcement officers watched Ricky Akers stop, wait for a bit, then leave the rest area in the 1973 Volkswagen that he'd stolen three weeks earlier in Louisville, Kentucky. He drove up I-70 a short distance, then circled back, probably trying to ascertain whether he'd been followed. Akers then got out of his car and approached a parked vehicle where he thought he would be meeting his female friend. Instead, two FBI agents appeared out of nowhere and ordered him to the ground. Ricky Akers drew the same 38 caliber snub-nosed revolver that he'd shot the state trooper with and was immediately hit by two shotgun blasts. John Munden would receive a 3.30 a.m. phone call informing him of the shooting, and I can't imagine that was a very good day for him. Ricky Akers was one of the suspects in his case, and he had hoped they would take him alive so he'd be able to question him. Later, he would tell Dave Scott, the staff writer for the Greenfield Daily Reporter, I really think that if Akers did something to Laura Morris, he told somebody. I'm trying to be optimistic, I guess. Ten days later, April 15th, 1982, at around 1.15 in the afternoon, a badly decomposed body was found in the northeast corner of Shelby County by a farm worker named Philip Bennett as he was plowing a field. The 25-acre cornfield was located along County Road 1100N and east of Shelby County, Road 700E, and was located about a half a mile from where the owners of the field, Helen and James Nugent, lived. There were no other homes nearby, and the body was found about 15 feet from the fence line in a spot that wasn't visible from the road. The body of a white female was laying face up with arms crossed over her body and legs apart. Because she was clothed in a white t-shirt and blue jean shorts, first responders speculated that it may be the body of Laura Morris because she was last seen by her mother wearing a white t-shirt and she was, at the time, the only white female missing in the area. Because the field was fenced and the body was laying some feet off the road, they further speculated that the killer would have to carry the body to that spot, even though there was a gate that gave access to the field. One of the more significant and confusing facts about the scene was that Mr. Nugent had harvested his corn crop in early November, about three months after Laura went missing, and at that time her body was not seen. Also, the state of her body when it was found did not suggest that it had been altered in any way by the harvesting. But they thought it was possible that her body would have been laying there and they missed it. Perhaps weeds or debris may have obscured it. There were, in fact, a few corn stalks lying over the body when she was found, but not enough to suggest that she was intentionally covered. Mrs. Nugent, however, told reporters that she didn't think her husband could have missed a body when he harvested that corn because of how high up in the cab he would sit in that tractor. His vantage point would have been pretty clear, and he would be looking straight down on the rows of corn. Laura's body was found in between two rows. 
scattered shell casings were present at the scene, leading John Munden to tell the Greenfield Daily Reporter, it's my belief she was killed in the field. At some point, he would change his opinion on that, though. Everything that Steve did from the moment this happened made sense to me on a, on a you know, on a, just a basic common sense level, why he would have gone after different people. I mean, not, you know, on a granular sure. level, but just him going crazy and offing people. You know, we can get sure. to that in a minute. But Trudy yeah. never made sense to me. And the first yeah. reason it didn't make sense is because the public information was that she had been shot in the head. But then I was getting people behind the scenes telling me, well, she may have been stabbed. And there may yeah. have been stab marks, but then I got the autopsy report, and there's no indication of any blood on her clothing. Were yeah. you? Well, by the same token, um, <laughs> there's that that may be true, um, and and I don't think I don't think it necessarily was a situation where even if she was killed at home, that it would necessarily have been um, a stab wound. I mean, just just because there was no evidence, her her the condition of the body when it was found was so bad that if it had been a soft tissue shooting, it, it would not have shown in an autopsy. Right. If it had nothing, they did X-ray all the bones. There was no nothing, right. you know, as far as stabbing or shooting in that regard. But there right. could be possibly other things that may have happened in the home. Could have possibly. I mean, you could even go so far as manual strangulation. They didn't mention. Uh, yeah, it's, it's you know. possible. Uh, Trudy was a big woman, and not not necessarily heavy, right. but large boned mm -hmm. and and uh, well built. You know, as far as I don't know. I hate to say almost a masculine build, but, right, but right. she I know was st a strong woman. Yeah. And uh, Laura was much smaller, and uh, it, even something like that is possible. Right. Um, although I think I don't recall there being any evidence of like a hyoid bone fracture no, or anything there was like not. that that right. yeah. might have led uh, to that. But right. nonetheless, you, you just don't know. Yeah, when you can't hundred um, percent rule it out, you have to at least keep no. it in the back of mind. But it Absolutely. just didn't. The 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 stuff we did know did not yeah. look did not point to Trudy more than other people. In a April seventeenth, nineteen eighty two article written by Dave Scott. He also noted that John Munden was, quote, upset over televised reports Friday evening, which he said indicated that fugitive Ricky Akers, who was killed in a confrontation with police agents at an Ohio truck stop on April 5th, had been connected to Laura Morris's disappearance and possible death. Munden admitted Akers knew the Greenfield woman and her former husband, Bryce Morris, but said so far the slain fugitive has not been tied to other circumstances in the case. At that time, investigators were saying that they were fairly certain Laura was shot in the field, and if the body was that of Laura Morris, the FBI may be invited to review connections between the victim and fugitive rape suspect Ricky Dean Akers. While I was waiting on documents to arrive in this case, I began to speak with numerous people close to the Snedeker family, and one of them gave me information about the cause of death that ended up being incorrect. And in that same article, they were talking about how they felt that she was killed there. Tell me what you know about that. Like, I don't know that I can really say it on the record. Well, it's going to be in the in the documents anyway. It doesn't matter. Well, maybe it, well, maybe it won't. I don't know. Well, she was uh, shot multiple times, they, first of all. Right, but they think the bullets were actually, she was shot in the field. She was already dead when she was put in the field. So, so she was shot the first time and then shot again in the field? 
she was shot three times in the field. Well, then how did she die originally? <laughs> stab wound. A stab wound? That's that's what they speculate. Because there, because there was a V-shaped hole in the stomach area of the T-shirt that she had on. Uh, they said it would, it, would, it would match a knife wound. Now, come on. Do you see Trudy stabbing her daughter? No. I see Laura holding a knife telling her mother, you're not going to hit me again or whatever. And they struggle and Laura gets stabbed. That's what I see. It wasn't an act. It wasn't murder. It was an accident that happened. Trudy didn't premeditatively kill her daughter. All right? If it happened that way, it was an accident. From the very beginning, Trudy Snedeker killing her daughter over an argument that they possibly got into about her ex and then somehow disposing of her body just didn't make sense to me. I knew that news articles from the time period had already reported that there were multiple gunshots to the head and that law enforcement officials had told reporters that they believed Laura Morris had been killed in that cornfield. I had a hard time squaring the idea that Trudy could have dumped a body, but I'd also read reports of Trudy's dad making some sort of overnight secret trip to the area that seemed to imply that he was the one that disposed of his granddaughter's body. Let's do the Zanesville question now. Tell me about that trip because that kind of refers to Trudy. So what was the point of that trip? What was he trying to find out and what did he learn? Well, um, Danny and I and John made the trip over to somewhere in Ohio. Um, These were relatives of um, Trudy's. Um, and, and her dad, um, I'm trying to think of his first name. Lawrence Romans. Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. Uh Everybody, everybody just, (laughs) funny, everybody just always referred to him as old man Romans. (laughs) Um, but, um, okay. So anyway, but he was, they, these were relatives and I have to be honest with you at this point in time, I don't remember whether they were (sighs) uncles or cousins or brothers and sisters or I, I just don't know but okay. they were relatives All right. uh, um, Romans had been uh, living in Florida as I recall and uh, he was to, he, his health apparently was not that great because he was traveling with a nurse he had a nurse that traveled with him all the time mm-hmm. it just happened and I, I'm trying to remember I'm trying to remember how John found out about this. I don't know whether there were, there was a, there was an awful lot of people over an awful long period of time that would call in little tidbits or, Hey, I think I've heard because we tried to keep it a a reasonably high profile, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, as far as cold cases go so that people knew somebody was still looking Um, and there was a sister, uh, I think, uh, I, I think, uh, Steve had a sister, um, who was much more, no, let's strike that, was much less averse to the legal community. Yeah, that's (laughs) Mary Jones, that's Mary Jones, right? There you go, that's Mary Jones. Okay. And so whether this came from her, whether it came from something Danny learned, I, I, I just don't recall. Okay. But, but we decided we needed to go to Ohio and talk to these, this couple. Okay. And uh, 
so we drive over there and the story as as i recall it was that um romans and his nurse were staying with them um they had come apparently up from wherever it was they lived florida or someplace down south and they were they were staying with them and sometime uh, in the middle of the night um or early morning um there was a phone call and it was for old man romans and he uh, as i recall he went he separated himself from the rest of the folks so he could talk in private uh and this is all according to what these folks were telling us mm-hmm. um and when he came out of the room uh, and the conversation was over he informed his nurse you get your stuff together in, in so many words you know get your stuff together we're leaving now and it was totally unexpected they 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 were expecting him to stay i think for a few more days uh but this was all of a sudden it was like no we've got to go now so they threw their stuff in the car and took off well um as it turns out um, old man romans then drives to greenfield apparently because he before he does anything he takes the nurse to a hotel and drops her off there in greenfield in greenfield okay and then he is gone for a while um a matter of a couple of hours or three i don't know exactly um and then comes back and gets the nurse and they go straight to home uh, they drive straight to home, and I want to, like I say, I want to say that was Florida for some reason. I know he lived in Old Town, Florida, so could, could be, okay. could be. Um, I, 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 like I say, some of the fine details like that yeah. have escaped me over the years. So um, did they? But I, did they try? I, did they know for a fact, positively, one hundred percent, that that trip occurred the night that Laura went missing? Well, they they didn't put it the the relatives didn't put it together for a long time. Ah. That that was part of the problem. Yeah. Um, this was several years later that they they finally sort of put learned I guess of them what date it was that um, she died. Uh, that she that she died or disappeared. Yeah. And, oh, wait a minute, that's the same, that was the same day that, that you know, but here's he was the... here and left in a hurry. Yeah. So, we, we we know they came to Greenfield because he dropped her off at a hotel, and I think John ended up talking to the nurse at some point, probably after old man Romans died. Died, yeah, she did, uh, she did. And indicated that, you know, yeah, he brought her there, didn't say anything about what, why he was coming, didn't say anything to me about anything, tricked me to the hotel, dropped me off disappeared came back and we drove straight to florida the pro i guess the problem just on its on its face that i would see with that is because it was so many days so many years later it's also possible that what they're remembering is them learning that laura went missing and them leaving and going to greenfield you know doesn't it seem like that's also possible well that learning that she went missing yeah that, that when they when those relatives let's say they put it together but what they thought was her him leaving in the middle of the night to go maybe help Trudy do whatever 
was could have been them leaving in the middle of the night because someone contacted Trudy contacted him and said Laura's missing. You know that sometime. Well, later- I, I think that's exactly what happened. Right. No, so- I, I think that's exactly. I, I think the call. You know, uh, to get to the theory of the case, I think the call was from Trudy to her dad. Oh my God, something terrible's happened. I need help, and and he would have been the only one she would have trusted. She could not have turned to Steve um, at that point, and or would not have turned to Steve. And I think she called her dad and said, "God, Dad, I need help. I, you know, I've got. I'm in a mess." And he probably said, "You sit there. Don't talk to anybody. I'll be there as soon as I can get there." But, and but, but what because I'm saying, that was all the same night. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if they're retelling this story months later or however long. Couldn't she have called her dad that night and said, Dad, Laura's missing, and they just came into town the next day? Because it would only have been one day difference between her. Right. Com- I mean, I, I, that, that's, I, I mean, I guess if you want to, uh, if you want to go that route, you can yeah. say, well, yeah, I suppose anything's possible. I'm just I mean, wondering if they. But I don't think that's, uh, we were convinced, and they were convinced that it was the same the same morning okay so that's basically one of the things and, that munden had against trudy is that he believed that this happened the night that laura went missing before police were even involved absolutely okay. because because they didn't report her missing you know trudy uh, claimed that she got a she got up uh, i don't know six or seven o'clock of course you don't know whether that's true or not right but but um um that she got up at six or seven o'clock in the morning and and her daughter was gone and she didn't even bother to call the police or anybody till i i don't know it was in the afternoon right there yeah you know? and it does appear that she went to one police station it wasn't the right one they sent her to another one she went to that one and then monday ended up going to the scene called to the scene after that i'm trying little by little i'm getting all the pieces together but i didn't know anything about the zanesville trip i had heard about it the only problem we have is that munden what didn't get the the police records from the house um because uh, he said that when he was debriefed he told they asked him if he got the police report I mean, uh, the records, and he said no, because what he did is he asked Trudy for them, and Trudy said she'd give them to him, and then I guess days go by or weeks or whatever, and his boss says, where's the records? And he goes, oh, Trudy, um, or he, and he said, Trudy said she gave them to you. And he said, no, no, she didn't. And so by the time they went to subpoena them, they were gone. So they have no proof that a call went actually went from Trudy to Zanesville, Ohio, to Lawrence Romans. There's no proof yeah. of that happened. So I, I'm kind of getting an idea now of why, you know, certain pieces look good, but they couldn't prove it because they're, they were missing things. You know what I mean? And I, and I, I think as I, as I've probably, as we talked about maybe a little bit in our, some of our earlier texts, mm-hmm. um, you know, today, um, I think logic would tell you that. And, and I think, 90% of police officers would agree that their first look is going to be at whoever's close by. Right, yeah. You know? Absolutely. But, but at the time, I think the police considered the family to be victims the same as Laura was. Right. You know? Uh, I, I, I think there was just a different... I think it was different. Well, um, yeah, and then you also have to add in the fact that very quickly afterwards... 
shady stuff started happening that muddied the waters and confused everything. Sure. And sure. And and the Snedegers are lying to police, uh, and they're you know doing stuff like with Chuck Smith and luring him away, and he yeah. ends up yeah. missing. So of course the detectives is going to be wondering what the hell's going on, what's related, what's not related. And I firmly believe if Steve hadn't gone off his nut and started doing all that stuff, they probably would have solved this case. It probably and, and that, very, that very well could be. Normally, you've got somebody who is giving you the straight story. Right. Yeah. And, and that you can use as a basis to determine, okay, well, this happened and that happened, blah, blah, blah. But it, it became clear over a period of time that nothing that was coming from the family could be relied on. Yep. Nothing. Trudy wasn't telling the truth. Steve wasn't always telling the truth. Steve, Steve would lie about shit he didn't even have to lie about. <laughs> uh, yep, that sounds that, right. That, that's, that's the story. That's the problem with Steve. Yep. You could never believe anything he said because, I mean, he... he he could look. He would look outside and tell you it's raining when all you had to do was look outside and see that it wasn't. Yeah. In the autopsy, the cause of death is listed as two gunshot wounds of the head and brain, and the manner of death is obviously homicide. The initial examination is done by a pathologist in Shelby County, and he notes the extreme level of decomposition and the fact that the entire contents of the body bag were being sent for x-rays. His exam was limited to the skull, and he noted that there were three entrance wounds, and he turned over two recovered bullets, which he called missiles, to the state police for examination. A full autopsy was then performed three days later by forensic pathologist John Pless at the Bloomington, Indiana Hospital. Two Indiana State Police detectives, Ron Bruce and Paul Weiler, were present, along with John Munden. This report notes that the female was last seen at home wearing denim shorts and a man's t-shirt on August 10, 1981, but I believe this detail is slightly incorrect. Trudy stated that the last time she saw her, she was just wearing a t-shirt. Although she was found wearing that t-shirt, she also had on jean shorts. The forensic pathologist described Laura's t-shirt as having two holes in the front, varying from a quarter to a half inch each as well as two linear tears in the back, which vary from one to one and a half inch. He described them as the front ones being slightly center and the back ones slightly to the right and center. However, he mentions nothing about blood, which we would expect to see if there were injuries sustained like a stabbing. So it does not appear that those holes correspond to any actual injuries. Many of the bones are disarticulated the skull and mandible were completely separated from the body, and most of the remaining skin was either mummified or gone. All of the gunshots were to the right side of the skull, in the same general area, and there were two exit wounds. The x-rays noted no injuries that suggest Laura was stabbed in any area where bone was involved, and because there is no mention of blood on the shirt, and the ME's cause of death was determined to be due to gunshots, it seems as though the holes in her shirt were the only indications that any other cause of death were based upon. In Munden's debrief interview, he said that he believed Laura Morris had sexual activity of some sort the night she went missing. There are other aspects in the report that do reflect that police were looking at criminals 
who had committed sexual acts, including Ricky Akers, and a man named Stephen Peter Morin. Morin died of lethal injection on March 13, 1985 in Huntsville, Texas. He was found responsible for at least four murders, although he was thought to have been associated with up to 12, and was suspected of a total of 48 violent crimes across the country, some of those including sexual assaults. Morin is similar to Israel Keyes in that he offended in numerous states, including Las Vegas, Utah, Colorado, and Texas. Based on the police reports in Laura Morris's file, it appears that Morin became associated with her case when a witness thought that he had seen a picture of Laura and another of his possible victims in his wallet. The wallet in question was also described as a trucker's billfold with a chain on it, and his physical description loosely fit the description of the man that Laura was seen with in her vehicle on one of those Sunday mornings before she went missing. Lastly, he did live in the Indianapolis area around the time that Laura went missing, although police never appeared to have any information that he knew Laura or had any interactions with her in the relevant time frame. They could only say that he was in the area until about a month before Laura disappeared. They had no information that he was in the area in August when she did disappear, and in fact, a female witness said she dropped Morin off at the bus station at the beginning of July, and that date corresponded to the last known time period that he was in the area. What I take from all of this is that Laura very well could have died right there in that cornfield of gunshots to the head, and that's not something that can be attributed back to her mother, Trudy Snedeker, particularly if there is any possibility of a sexual component to the crime which right now I'm not able to accurately assess. In order to believe John Munden's theory that Trudy killed Laura, you then have to believe that there was some sort of soft tissue injury that the medical examiner was unable to locate because all those soft tissues were missing. But even then, let's say she was shot in some soft tissue area. Where's the bullet? I would expect that you would recover that bullet from the ground, even if the soft tissue was missing. Unless that first bullet was shot inside the Snedeker home. And Trudy got rid of that, as well as any trace of blood and mess caused by the shooting before police arrived the next afternoon. Certainly it's not impossible. It's just harder to wrap your head around the fact that both the M.E would not be able to see evidence of anything other than three bullet wounds, and Trudy would be able to clean up the crime scene so effectively that there was no trace left for police the next day. But speaking of Trudy and bullets, Dave Scott told me this interesting tidbit. Yeah, did, did, did Danny tell you about the, the uh, Trudy firing her gun in the, in the yard? No. What's this about? Oh, well, uh, a, few, a day or two after... She disappeared. Uh, the police, uh, probably city police or county police, whichever one they called, but a neighbor uh, called the police and said there was somebody shooting. Um, there was gunshots going off uh, in their neighborhood back there. And uh, Shadlin Drive is a it, it came off of a county road and it went back to a cul-de-sac. All right, and there were houses down both sides and houses around the cul-de-sac and houses up the other side. 
that was all there was. It was a little subdivision, but it was a subdivision that was only, I don't know, 10 or 12 houses, I would guess. Um, and their their house was kind of at the end of the cul-de-sac um, there on Shadeland Drive. At any rate, so the, the, the cops, it must have been the county because I think, I think John and some of the other uh, sheriff's department guys responded, so they probably called the county sheriff. Anyway, they went out there and they found Shud- uh, Trudy was outside with her little 25 that she kept tucked in her bra all the time. Um, and she was out in the yard shooting this gun. And they said, Trudy, what the, you know, what the hell are you doing? And she said, well, she had somebody, I don't remember who it was, but somebody else in the family was in the house. And she said, well, I just wanted to know if, a, if you know, we're just running a little test or a little experiment here to see if, 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 I, if a gunshot went off out in the yard at night, if somebody was in the house could hear it. Oh my God! Why would? Oh, I see. So she's trying to figure out or explain if she. But at that time, did she know? Had her daughter's body been found? Oh no! 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 Then why would she be running that experiment? That doesn't make sense. She didn't know she was found with three bullets in her head. That's exactly the point. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's very interesting. Now she 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 could she would argue. That, well, you know, in case somebody, I mean, it's so thin in hindsight, you know, it's laughable. But but at the time, you know, she's a frantic mom and she's trying to figure out if somebody shot her daughter, you know, be it Rice or Alplanup or Rake Acres or whoever it might have been, or just some Joe Blow, mm-hmm. whether or not she would have heard the shots while she was sl- allegedly sleeping in the house. Yeah, but that but, is that's thin, but, like you said. That's that's pretty thin. How, she has no idea that how, if her daughter's even dead right now. She, but she certainly doesn't know the man the manner of death. So, absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely. Okay. So absolutely. This is this is a lot more than I thought was against Trudy. Now I didn't realize. Yeah. 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 Okay. There's there, that, like I said, I was starting to say that's just one more. Yeah. Um, piece of the puzzle, you know. I mean, and and again, it's circumstantial. But, right. It's all circumstantial but, right now. There's a lot uh, of circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, when you get enough circumstances, yes. you know, they start, to, yeah. they start to form a picture. Stay tuned. <laughs>